out on your two. Today we're looking into Romans chapter two, and I've been going through Romans verse by verse when I when I come here, which is once a month, which we enjoy. I enjoy coming here. We look forward to to being here with you. This is a great church. Hope you realize it. Sometimes you don't realize it because you come here every week and you're sort of familiar with everything. This is a great church, and you've got great potential, and you're doing wonderful work. And I expect big things of this congregation. So keep on praying, getting the word of God out, and one day we'll have this place filled. And um, I can see that happening. God has his hand on this congregation, and every time, and it's a drive, you know, it's a drive for an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes or whatever. But you know, we always look forward to doing it because, you know, we love this congregation. Okay, so what I'm trying to say here, Romans chapter 2, I want to comment on verse number 4, Romans 2, 4. However, uh, just by way of looking at the context, we know that Romans chapter 2, verse 1, not, you know, I preached on this, what, four or five weeks ago, so I expect you to understand all that, but no. But ro- ro- verse 1 is about judging others. If you read through that, that's basically the thought there. Verse 2 is about God's judgment. So here we're talking about judgment. Verse 3 is basically about judge God's judgment. And verse number 4 is about the goodness of God. And we, we, we talked about some of these in, in some detail. So, um, let me see, where shall I pick up here where I left off? I don't want to repeat myself what I've done here before. Um, so, why don't we look here in chapter 4, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'm going to start with that. And, of course, I don't know if you want to hear the, the Greek rendering of it. Hey, to, play to, taste, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, anybody here? No Greek, otherwise no sense we do going through that, right? Okay, so verse 4 tells us, Or despisest thou the riches and goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now, since this is God's word, let's pray together. Our Father, we ask now that you will. You will be the teacher, Lord. Get me out of the way. I'll just add confusion. Get me out of it. But in some way, use my mouth. Use my lips in speaking to present the truth of God's word, to bless this congregation, Father. This is a wonderful, wonderful congregation. We call down your blessing on them, and they will be and do all that you would have them to be, that they'll meet their potential and just do great things using their spiritual gifts that you have given to them. And we thank you for the wonderful blessing that is here. Now, Lord, help me to communicate something helpful to these people, Lord. Help me to do this. If it's just me here, it's going to be a mess. If you're involved, it'll be a great experience. Please help us, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so let's just take the way I like to go through it. It's sort of boring, but you know, I think if you bear with me, you may get something out of it, hopefully. So I just take the verses, verse, phrase by phrase, verse by verse. So um, the first thing I see here is the word, or despisest thou. So let's ask... Since this is a divine and errant inspired word, this is not just some frivolous writing of someone, we've got to take every jot and tittle very seriously. Despisest thou. And that, that comes, by the way, from the word cataphonio, despisest thou. And it literally means to think down upon or think against. Other definitions in your concordance <clears throat> says that it means to regard one as nothing, or to despise, to utterly despise, 
or to treat with contempt. So this is a strong word. This word despisest thou or cataphlenio. Now, does anybody come to your mind when I say these things? Uh, you know, some people that, that we know are very pleasant and encouraging and we like to be with them. And other people, because they're people, may not be as encouraging. And, and when I'm thinking about different kind of personalities, what came to my mind here was, was uh, my own father. Now, you, never, you didn't meet my father. Uh, my dad uh, um, actually um, quit school at, in um, 10th grade. He attended um, Upper Darby High School in Pennsylvania. And because of the depression, he had to drop out and go to work. And, and that, and, but my dad was a smart man, but never had education. Couldn't get, never did get back to school. But yet he was, was a very smart person. But he knew he had a great personality. That was his strength. He, he could get along with everybody. And um, he won me to Christ through his influence. He was a Christian. He would bring us to the Marple Presbyterian Church every Sunday and... and uh, through this, we, we got saved. And uh, so what I'm trying to say is my dad was a very gregarious, friendly, cheerful man. And I'm trying to teach by opposite. So you got that picture. But I want to talk to you about the opposite of this. So who would that be? Someone who is down, sad, maybe angry, uh, hostile. That's the word we have here in our text, the word despising. So we're looking here, or, or thou that despisest, looking at this word, despising. And what are you despising? In this text that we're looking into today, what is being despised? What are we despising? The, the riches of his goodness. Let's take that phrase for a minute. The riches of his goodness. Now the word riches, pleutos, going back to the re- original rendering, and it means that which is possessed by God and exercised toward men. So that which is Possessed by God, it means what God gives, what God has, what he distributes, is the meaning there. God possesses riches and blesses his people with them. That's really trying to take that Greek nonsense out and put it so we can understand. That's what it means, that God possesses great riches and he blesses his people with those riches. Now, think for a moment about that statement before we move on. Hasn't God blessed you? Every one of you here, think how you are blessed. Now, we take this for granted. You know, we're American citizens, so we expect to have liberty, freedom, money, lights, air conditioning, heating, cars. You name it, we've got it, right? And we take it for granted. We don't think about it. Do you ever think about that? You get up in the morning, you get on, you maybe go to work, you have a nice job, you have a beautiful car and all this, and come home, you have plenty of food, and you don't really even think about it. But people in the other world do. <laughs> they think about it, and they're aware of it. That God has blessed us as individuals, but he's blessed us as a nation as well. Just think for, for you, your life. You know what you can do that thousands of people would give everything they have to be able to do? And you know what that is? This. Walk. To be able to walk. How many people are in hospitals or in wheelchairs because they can't do this? And we do it every day and don't even think about it. And there are those who do this, but with great pain. Oh, I have my arthritis or whatever. And we do it, and we feel good. But the point is, we take a lot for granted. And we're people blessed of God. What about, use the word thinking. We can think. We're rational creatures, and we're able to do this. Although I do read sometimes people, I'm not sure if they're thinking or not, or I'm probably the one that's not thinking properly. But look at this. You can hear. You can hear me speak. You can see. 
Do you ever work with a person who is blind? I worked with a blind person a couple of times, and they got that stick, and they can't see. I'm thinking, oh my God. So he'd have to go around here like this and try to feel his way around. And, and you know what? I, take, I just walk right up to it and take it for granted. Think of the blessings you have right here, and then think about this. You're saved. You love the Lord. Now, don't quote me on this, but it's my understanding that of all the people that have ever lived and ever will live, a minority number is going to heaven. The majority aren't going to heaven, if I understand Scripture properly. But the point is, you are. You believe in Jesus. God saw fit that you had either the parents or the church or the circumstances for you to come unto the Lord. And not only that, if we look clearly in Scripture, God gave you the faith to trust in Christ. This is such a blessing, such a blessing here. And, so, and, and then you know, we could go on, on, on with this kind of thinking, you know, we're saved. And then we have heaven to look forward to. Think about that. Now, I hope we all like each other. Because we're going to spend a lot of time with one another, like eternity, right? That's what you've got waiting for us, if you know the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm getting to know you over the, coming here, how long have I been coming here? About a, couple, a year or two, maybe now? So, I, you know, I look, as I say, I look forward to this. But I don't know all of you, like, closely. So maybe there's somebody here today that's not saved. I don't know. You could be just religious or like the fellowship. I don't blame you. We love coming here. Uh, do you all know the Lord Jesus? Have you received him into your life? Put your faith and trust in Christ. And if you haven't, obviously, you know, I would like to convince you to do that very thing. And then also, think about the family that you came from. I mean, you're all well, for the most part, educated people and, and pleasant to be with because you had good upbringing. You've had good family. So these are the things that we have. Not everybody has this. And there are many, many people in the world who have none of this. So God has blessed us. He has enriched us. And I'm trying to come play on this word here. The riches of his goodness. And certainly the riches of his goodness to us is abounding. Not only because we are saved, that's the best blessing, but we have all these other things to give us comfort in living. So yes, we are experiencing his riches. But now this text goes on to talk about those riches. And what's the next word? The riches of his goodness. Let's talk, talk about that. Zeresotes is the word riches. And it means that which is upright, that which is righteous. It refers to a certain kind of heart found in God when placing his grace and mercy upon us. Think about this. When God placed his grace on you, and again, he did not place it on everyone. As a matter of fact, he did not place it on the majority of the human race, but he did place it on his people, on you, and you're one of them. So think about that blessing. Think of the joy that's given you and the security and understanding that has given to you, that you know Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, and you're part of a local church. You've got the blessings of blessings, and this is a very good church. We look forward to coming here every, you know, every month. We thought, oh, good, here it is, this time of the month, and we're coming here to, to the Bible Press here, and we certainly enjoy it here. This is a wonderful church. I'm not just talking about any other church. I'm talking about this particular one. There's something unique here, and you've got a great thing going, and we want to say thank the Lord with it. Going on here, looking at the riches of his goodness, and then the next word we see, forbearance. 
Let's talk about that for a while. What do you want to talk about forbearance? Because it's in the Bible. We're here to study the Bible, right? So we're going to look at forbearance. Anoxe, coming from the, word, the Greek word anoxe. And forbearance literally means a holding back or a delay of punishment. It's not punishment. It's the delay of punishment. Now, I'm sure you've all had this. You've been in a situation where you know punishment's coming, <laughs> but it's been delayed, and you know, whether it be from your parents, you know, you messed up and you know what's going to happen. Yeah, and you know, I'm thinking, it just, just really didn't really plan on this, it came to my mind with my children when they were young. I had a paddle, and I couldn't really take any too nonsense because my, my first dear wife passed away, and so my, I'm raising my, my children, you know, and they're at the age where they're very impression. And I couldn't take a lot of nonsense from them because I, we just couldn't tolerate it. So somebody gave me a paddle years ago. I don't know. Anyway, I always held on to that paddle. And so now I'm going to have to start to put it to you. So I say, you know, Troy or Donnie or Bridget or Lance, you do that one more time and, you, and I get to hold the paddle. You're getting this. And that little boy, they yeah, yes, daddy. And there we go. But without that in my hand, they do whatever they want. You know, if you get that paddle, <laughs> they know something's going to happen here. And so they, they forbear, shall we say, with this paddle in my hand. They'd always have to deal with this issue. Um, but God does that with us. He holds back or delays punishment. Now, we know this from, what is it, Hebrews 12? Who the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son who he receives. You all know this. You're his son. And I'm sure you could meet. This may be interesting, by the way. If we all had Give you, I'll give each of you two minutes to get up here and share with us some of God's blessed, some of God's discipline in your life. How does God discipline you? You're His child; He will discipline you as we obey Him and follow Him. Get we get you know, strength and encouragement, but when we disobey God and we're into sin and playing around when we ought not to be, the Lord can discipline you. <laughs> and I'm sure you all know. I'm looking at somebody here who's been disciplined, <laughs> pretty serious, and I know that. You have too, because you're, you're God's child. And that's what this word, we're looking here at our text, the word long-suffering. Long-suffering means, means like patience, steadfastness, perseverance. Having perseverance, you know. And I'm thinking, what could I do to illustrate perseverance? And I'm trying to think back in my life, whatever happened. And, and this, I had a thought that came to my I hadn't had it for, gosh, 30 years, 40 years. And yet, and that, once I got this topic, it was clear in my mind. And what had happened? Um, I was playing baseball, like American Legion baseball. I don't know where it was, but what I do know, I was on third base. Wherever the field was, (laughs) I'm on third base. Okay, so the batter, the batter, oh, he missed a signal. That's what it was. It was a squeeze play. I'm on third base. The coach gives a signal for the squeeze play, and that is the batter bunts the ball, and I'm, come, I'm, run, I'm running home. So once that pitcher winds up, lets that ball go, I'm going full speed to home plate, assuming the batter's going to bunt the ball. But the batter missed the signal. So I'm coming running home, and he's standing there. He didn't know what's going to happen. And I run right into him, and my cleat gets hooked onto his foot. And it was probably the worst injury I ever had. In my... my back like this, and oh, boy, did that hurt, so I couldn't get up. It's like, go on, get up. I can't get up. And it was such, I, they brought in, they had to get an ambulance. Put an ambulance, put me in, rushed me to the hospital, 
you know, they x-rayed it and all this, and uh, I think I was there like for a day or two trying to deal with this thing. So anyway, when I come out of that, now I got, now I got crutches. Now I got to walk like this for six weeks. Oh, it was awful. Why do I say it? I'm thinking here long-suffering. That's what I was doing. I was, you know, now I got probably four to six weeks on these crutches, and then the foot still was very sore and had to go to a doctor. Oh, what a mess that thing was. As a matter of fact, I could probably take my shoe off. My ankle still puffed up. And I had surgery on that ankle and all kind of, and the thing still doesn't work. But anyway, the point is long-suffering. Now, you could each give a story about long-suffering. I'm sure we all have, you know, we all have these things come into our life. That would be another interesting thing to do. Why don't each of you get up and talk to us for about three minutes about long-suffering in your life? Anybody want to volunteer to say something about how you long-suffered with something in your life, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, financial? But, you know, we, we have long-suffering. And that's the picture here. The Word of God is trying to show us in terms of sin and difficulty. We have forbearance. We have long-suffering. And what about these attitudes that we're talking about? The next phrase we see is agonio, is the Greek term here, and it means not knowing. You see that phrase there in your Bible? Not knowing. So it's drawing a picture of ignorance, not knowing clearly what you're going to do, where you're going to go. And what is it that they don't know? What's that all about? The next phrase, on to zerestos, or the goodness of God. What they don't know, what it's talking about is we do not know, understand the goodness of God, referring to the character of God. We know that God is gracious, kind, merciful, and so it's making the point here we're not knowing this, not appreciating this. And what is it that the goodness of God does? According to our text, what is the goodness of God doing? It leads you to repentance. Now that's a key word in scripture, repentance. Repentance coming from the word metaneo. Now, it literally means to change your mind. Now, God help me if I'm saying this wrong. I don't think that I am, but you check me out. Because you're here sometimes that repentance means to turn from your sins. And that's not what, it doesn't mean that. It means to change your mind. But it implies turning from your sins. So I'm just being technical, that's all. So we're talking here about repentance Going back to the original Greek, which is the word metanoia here in this particular text, means a change of mind which leads to a change of action. So, if I say I'm tired, very tired, I'm going to sit down and rest my feet. And as I approach the chair, you know, I change my mind. You know, I'm going to stand back here behind the pulpit a couple more minutes. Well, you know, I just, I just metanoioed. I just changed my mind. I was going to do this, but I changed it. I'm back here again. Well, this is what the scripture says. When it leads you to repentance, meaning it leads you to a change of mind. So that if you are rejecting Christ, rejecting the Bible, that's you repent, your mind changes from that to following the Lord, following Christ. And, you know, and all of you did this. All of us did this. We all had a time in our life where we repented from following the world, rejecting the church, rejecting Christ, to the point where, yes, Lord, come into my life, save me. You realize you were a sinner, you realize you're headed for hell, and the Spirit of God made that real in your heart, to the point, yes, Lord, save me, I am a sinner. And so, and what a beautiful thing that is for the Lord to let us know that we are sinners, and for you to respond to it. So we're looking here in this text, 
that leads you to repentance. It leads you to change your mind and therefore to receive the Lord. Now, here's a bigger question. Here's perhaps the most important question today going to be asked. And here it is. Why? Here's the question. Why do some people repent and others don't? There are people who have heard the gospel over and over and over and they hate it. They will not. They will not. They will not come to Christ. You probably know people you've shared Christ with. You prayed for them and, and brought them to church and did this and that. They will not come to Christ. So, but the question is, I'm trying to get a little bit deeper. Why is it? Why do some people will reject it and reject it and reject it and others hear they got that's what I want. I want Christ. Yeah, Lord, save me. And we're asking now, why is this? And what what is the description that God gives us? And we're trying to answer that question from Scripture. Not trying to answer it from secular uh, philosophy or whatever, but we're looking here, how does the Bible explain why people reject the gospel and will not? They won't do it. They will not come to Christ. Well, to save time, I have the answer. And it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25. We'll give you an answer to this. 2 Timothy 2.25, and it says, Peradventure, God may give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And there's the, there, there it is, that God grants repentance. But I dare say that if God does not give you repentance, you're not going to repent. You won't repent. You'll, you will die out there first. You'll deny the Lord, you'll curse the Lord, you'll do whatever, but you will not change your mind over the, unless the Lord calls you and he gives you. It's a gift that he gives to his elect. If I may use that word, elect. He gives it to his elect. Now, now here's the mind-blowing question, though. And I still struggle with this myself. So we ask now, okay, God gives repentance to his elect, and they will repent. It's not they're going to resist. They're not going to resist. They will repent, and that's why you're here today. And, but now I ask that, well, why, Lord? Why, if there's so many, how's, how's the verse go? Many, there a few that be defined. Many, who knows that verse? Who can say that? Many do what? Many, how, what is, how's it go? That's it, there it is. Many are called, but few are chosen, and, and, few, and it ends up by saying, few that be defined that find it. Well, for whatever reason, we're part of that few. We found it by the, by the grace and mercy of God. And so, uh, you know, so we repent and we, we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. But if we do not, don't repent, obviously, then, you know, what do we have? So, um, by the grace of God, here you are. And every one of you have put your trust and hope in the Lord Jesus. And that's why you're here today. But this change of mind, which is the word repentance, you're changing your mind from whatever you believed in. And you're now calling upon Christ to be your savior. Why is that? Because you were born in a state of depravity. You know, the Bible talks about depravity. Now, being Calvinistic in our theology, we believe in total depravity. That is, you are saved, you are not saved, you're going to hell, and you cannot save yourself. You cannot figure it out. And make... The only way you're saved is if God opens up your heart and understanding, and he actually gives you the faith to trust in Christ. 
And then you're born again and you have all the joys. You get the Spirit of God in your heart and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But man left to his own will never repent. And I have some people in my life I've prayed for, I've talked to, and they will not. They're not going to do it. And so I don't know what else to do. I, I really don't say much anymore because uh, it's in God's hands. You may know that as well. But you know what? I, that, I shouldn't have said that's not a good... Oh, never give up praying. You know, if you have people in your life, in your family, you don't know Christ, pray for them, pray for them, and never give up praying for them and, and give them a track once in a while. If they get offended, so what? So what, so what if they get offended? Um, give them. Bring them to church sometime. But you know what? I know these people, what they'll do, they would rather die than go to church. Oh, no, not... But keep in prayer and let the Lord do his great work upon the natural man and say, just like he's, listen, if he saved you, if he saved me, he can save anybody. The blessing of God. And you know, here's another thing. I'll just tell you this real quick and then conclude. But I think about when I said this, and I may have given this example before. If I did, take about a 30-second nap and then wake back up again. But I give you the example of my brother. I have an older brother. I have a brother six years older than me. And boy, I'm getting up there. Let's see, my next birthday, I'll be 80. Can you believe that? Holy mackerel. Anyway, uh, so here's my brother, Neil. He's six years older than me. And we're growing up together as kids. And we had a difficult time growing up. Different situations occurred. Um, But anyway, um, I got saved before my brother, Neil. And I was in um, Bible college. And I just had a burden for my brother, and, and uh, you know, we, would, we would pray for him and write letters to him and all this. And he would just mock it. I don't want that. It's ah, phony stuff. I don't want any of that. Rah, 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 rah. You know, he was just nasty. He was a pretty nasty guy, actually. <laughs> Wish he was here. You, could, you would know. And then, what happens? I cry every time I tell you this, though. I guess I told you, you know, where, where were we living? We were living, I was a student at Florida Bible College, living in a little apartment there, and um, phone rings. Yeah, hello. Hey, Donnie, yeah? This is Neil. Now, he never called me before. Never, ever called me. And now he's calling me. Yeah? What, what's the matter? Did I, somebody, I thought somebody in the family died. Did Dad die? What's the problem? No, no, no. I want to tell you what. What? What do you tell me? He said, tonight, Cindy and I got saved. <sighs> uh, wait, 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 miss, wait a minute. Here. Hold on a minute. What did you say? I thought you said you got saved. No, what did you say? Yes, tonight, Cindy and I got saved. And, and he goes on and on about you know, his salvation. Now, this, again... If you knew him, you'd say, that could never happen. He's the most nasty person you'd ever... He got saved, and he did. Very next Sunday, he, and he wanted to know about church. What do I look for in a church? So we talked about that. But he, he and his wife got into a church. They got active, and they're still there to this day. They're still serving the Lord. And it's a wonderful... But whenever I see somebody, and I think, oh, this person's too wicked to get saved, I think of my brother. And I think what the Lord did to him. He made mincemeat of all his rejection. He loves the Lord today. And I can tell you, right this hour right now, he's in his church doing something. And uh, the Lord gave him a wonderful Christian wife. And, and, and so it's a wonderful story, but it's a true story. Okay, let me, con- let me conclude with this. Let, I'll conclude with two statements. Number one, the ways of God are meant to lead sinners to repentance. Does that make any sense? The ways of God, how he interacts, was intended to lead sinners 
to repentance. Think of the things that happened in your life. How, how did you get saved? What's the story of how you came to Christ? Was it a parent? Was it a friend? Was it somebody in college? Was it a next-door neighbor? What? And all these stories are very interesting to see how the Lord works in our life. And so that's the one thing I want to live with you. The ways of God are meant to lead sinners to repentance. Maybe you have a friend who you're praying for. They're not saved yet. Or you have a brother, a sister, relative. They don't know the Lord. Continue to bring them to the throne of grace and realize that the things that happen in their life could be God's plan gradually, step by step, bringing them to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that is. And see, that's what happened to you. I mean, look, there was a time when you weren't saved, and where are you now? You're sitting here in a church service. You're the leaders of the church. Every time I come here, I see this, for the most part, the same people. And that's good. That's a good thing. You're leaders. You're consistent. You're strong. And that's what we want to see. Of course, if you bring more people, unsaved, bring them in here, that, obviously that's a good thing as well. You're here in church today. Now, I wanted to ask you this, give you this challenge, though. Okay, you're here in church today where you belong, and that's a good thing. But now I have some questions to ask. I want you to think about this, and I'm going to have a couple, one more question to ask, and then I'm done. You're here today in church, hearing your Bible, praying, helping the brethren. Beautiful. Okay. What about when you go home today? What are you going to be like when you go? Now, I've known people, man, they're in church. Praise the Lord. I love my Lord. Ah, praise God. Ah, ah. And then they go home, and they're like a different creature. And what was that? What's this guy? I thought he was in church singing. Look at him now. What, what's this all? That happens. I don't know if somebody, like, I don't know. You may be. I don't know. Examine your heart. So what I'm asking you now, before I have a closing prayer, examine your heart. Is that you? Or maybe you know someone. Oh, yeah, I love the church. I love the pastor. Great, great. And, and they'll talk. Great preaching pastor. Very good. And I knew that guy, you know, knew some things about that guy. Wasn't good. And he's telling me how great a pastor, how he loves the Lord. So we have to be on guard and be aware of that. And I'm, but I'm trying to talk to you about these things as well. What are you like when you go home? Are you the same at home as you are here? If so, good, beautiful. And that's what we should be able to assume. But that's not always the case. You know why? Because we are frail creatures. By nature and by choice, we're sinners. <laughs> and we struggle with these issues all the time. One more, two more, three more questions and I'm done. What are you like when you're at work? Are you carrying the Christian banner when you're at work? In the secular world, people cursing around you, being tempted by men or women or all kinds of things going on. How are you there? Are you still starting strong for Jesus? You sort of shrimp away a little bit. What about when you're alone? When you're alone and nobody's around? What's going on there? What about when you're with your friends? Hey, Don, let's go drinking, honey. Come on. Oh, man, how many times have I had to put up with that? Oh, man. No, I'm not going to go. Go ahead. But I don't know. What about you? In other words, investigate your own heart. Here we're in church, and this is a great place to investigate your heart. And you know what? If, if you answered yes to any of these, I'm, I wouldn't condemn you because you're a human being, a sinner like me. But, what, but I would condemn you if you leave here without confessing that to the Lord. That would be the danger. If I said something here that touched your heart, okay, you're a human being. You make a mistake. We all do. But what you don't want to do is walk out that door without confessing it to God and, and tell him you're sorry and you want power to break away from it. Then things start to change. 
But you can either do that or hide, you know, continue to hide it and carry on, you know, your little double life or whatever. Okay, last question I want to ask here is this. God works, God's work is always effectual. This is just the word of encouragement. The work of God, it's always effectual. Our work is not always effectual. We try things, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. What God does always work. His work is effectual. And we know this. Again, think this will blow your mind. That God evidently decreed before the foundation of the world that you would be saved. Even before you were born. Even before your parents came together. It was already settled in heaven. You're going to be a believer and trust in Christ. And again, the amazing thing is, that doesn't happen to everyone. As a matter of fact, it doesn't happen to most people. But it happened to you. You've got every reason to fall down flat on your face and give God thanks and praise him for his mercy and grace on you. Because you don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. I know that. But I know you don't either because you're in the flesh. You're like, you know, we're all, we all str- struggle in that way. So we want to conclude today by just... Um, you know, we are all creatures subject to God's decrees. And I put a little note down here. In these issues about talking about God's decrees and talking about saving sinners before the foundation of the world, this raises up all kind of philosophical questions. And I found a book many years ago that helped me tremendously. And I want to recommend it to you if you struggle with these things of election, foreknowledge, predestination, and all that kind of thing, which will clear so much of it, it cleared so much of it up for me because it, it goes deep, but it's written simple. For a simpleton, I can, I can get it. But it really goes into deep issues. And the name of it is that it's called, I may have told you this before. If I did, then just check it off. But it's the, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, it's called. The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Botner. Now, here's a surprise. By Lorraine Botner? So I'm looking on the book cover to see maybe the picture of the author's there. <laughs> and the author's a man. Well, would you, could you imagine naming your son Lorraine? Uh, here's a little baby boy. What you look on? How about Lorraine? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that must have happened or something. Anyway, his writing is very good. The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Botner. I recommend if you have any questions about this, Get it. It's simple, yet it's deep, it, it, and it gives you real clarity on these issues. Because up until I got that book, I was totally confused on it. I taught in a Bible college, and I was confused on it. I pastored a church, and I was confused on it. Until I came to that book, cleared up everything. But, you know, this is how brothers and sisters help one another. Okay, so we're going to close today. We started with that statement, you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are, that judges... And we're going to conclude with talking about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over his creation. And that's why you're a believer today. God set his electing love on you, and you didn't resist him. You came to Christ, and you love the Lord. As I come here once a month, and as I say, I love, enjoy coming here. But, you know, I see, which is good. It's good and it's bad. It's good that I see usually the same people every time. Good. Praise God. You're faithful. You're loyal. I guess if there's a complaint, we need to get maybe some more people here. Maybe drag some more people, if they'll come. But if they don't come, you know, what can you do? You can't do anything about this. But we're seeing here that the sovereignty of God is effective in your life. He saved you. 
you're in a local church, you're active in a local church, your leaders in a local church, that's a beautiful thing to behold. Your life is counting. You're making a difference. And that's a beautiful thing to see and to do and to experience. So we say, praise God. We conclude with a, with a, with a, a, a statement of celebration over the sovereignty of God that he had saved us in his power, in his, in his uh, power, drawing in us. What's his drawing? And again, you learn this in this book. His drawing is what? Irresistible. We learn about the irresistible drawing of the Lord. If the Lord draws you to himself, you will come. There's no such thing. I don't want to cry. It doesn't exist. When God calls, you will come. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing to watch and to behold. Okay, two thoughts in application, and I'm giving a closing prayer. Number one, check for a judgmental attitude. Sometimes we get this. We're judgmental about maybe other Christians, the zeal of other Christians, or the you know, different things. Just watch. Be careful for a judgmental attitude. Number two, let the sovereignty of God give you peace. See, a lot of people complain, oh, sovereignty of God, well, that's not fair because, well, and they're going to some ridiculous nonsense. Really, you want to thank God that he is sovereign. You want to thank God that his will cannot be and will not be resisted because if it could have been, you, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be here. I know I wouldn't be here. I'd be doing, fulfilling the lust of my own flesh and doing my own thing. Thank God he overcomes all our nonsense and draws us irresistibly unto himself. And we want to thank the Lord for this. So with that, I shall say amen and have a prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to say thank you now for this wonderful congregation. Lord, this is a special congregation. There's no doubt your hand is on this place. And we ask, therefore, your protection because we know that the world, the flesh, and the devil will do all they can to discourage, to neutralize, to wipe out unless you preserve not only this church, but all of, all of us believers. We just ask that you will continue, continue. Lord, we pray for the elders of the church. We pray for the leaders of the church. We pray for Tim, that you will guide and direct him and protect him and his family. And uh, we just ask, Lord, for, for this congregation, that you'll be upon them in a great and mighty way. Thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you, Lord, for all these wonderful people. You're letting me behind the pulpit. Now that is a miracle. That is truly a miracle. These people don't understand this, Lord. They don't understand what a great miracle it is to let me preach to these people. Oh, boy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. And so thank you for bringing us together. And I thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.